Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Retrograde Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Jorge Montoya, and today we will be finishing up our two-part episode on Titanic, directed by James Cameron, starring Leonardo DiCaprio and Kate Winslet. So if you haven't listened to the first part of the episode, go check it out. But if you want a quick recap, we just go over just how we felt about the story, kind of the general feelings all around. We had a special guest, Anissa, and kind of how this film was important to her, kind of Austin and I reflecting on it, seeing how we feel about it since we last saw it. This week, we're going to be talking talking a bit more about the production side of things. We talk about the casting. We talk about how they actually filmed the Titanic sinking and kind of our final thoughts. And we share our quotes and we also go into what we're thinking about what we're going to be doing for the podcast in the upcoming year. So sit back, relax, and I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Your move, creep. Wish me luck, Freezer. You go, Ben Coco. Dino DNA. Son, your ego is writing checks your body can't cash. It's the only thing I know how to do. It's a good-looking boy. I'm a member of the Imperial Senate. That's night more! Welcome to Earth. You crossed the line. You know, that's just like, uh, your opinion, man. I feel like we should we should probably talk about how everyone was attached to be Rose and Jack at some point. <laughs> like I went down the IMDb trivia rabbit hole and I found like mm-hmm. 30 different cast members, like 30 different actors to be like, oh, well, they considered Winona Ryder to be Kate Winslet's character. Really? <laughs> they considered, wow. I think the, the one person that actually made it to almost making it was Gwyneth Paltrow as as Rose, which it would be a totally oh. different movie. And then yeah. Leo DiCaprio, obviously they picked him, but before that they were thinking about Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> oh no which i don't know about that i i could see actually i could actually see that i don't i don't know like when he was younger maybe mm. i mean obviously he's not leo he doesn't play it like leo but you mm. can see him as a charming person he's charming yeah but like i mean i just i just can't or robert de niro as being captain <laughs> smith um he turned it down because he had an he was sick at the time mm. good call yeah, there were just so many people. Um, but I feel like James Cameron really... he I think he campaigned for Leo to, to be in it. Like, he didn't... Mm-hmm. Leo didn't really want to be in it until James Cameron had to kind of sell him on it. Well, yeah. there's, a, there's a few stories. It's interesting that there's a few stories about it. So, I guess, you know, Leo knew Paul Rudd, right, in real life. And Paul Rudd tells the story about how his dad, Paul Rudd's dad, is like a big Titanic fan right this is obviously before the film but like his dad was into the titanic story so then paul rudd or i guess they had approached leo and leo wasn't sure and he was like leo told paul rudd and he's like oh i guess they want me to to be in this movie called titanic and paul rudd knowing the history through his father was like oh that's kind of crazy like the titanic song and it was this big thing he's like do it man that's one story but something that recently came out because james cameron was doing the rounds for avatar the way the way of water and he was kind of, you know, reminiscing, talking about past films. And he talks about first meeting Leo for this film. So according to James Cameron, like, Leo did not like auditioning for the film. Leo thought that they were just going to give it to him. 
that it was like, hey, we want you in the film, go for it. And James Cameron said, no, we need you to kind of read the part with Kate Winslet to see if you guys have chemistry. If not, you know, we're going to have to figure something out. And this apparently upset Leo. He didn't want to. He was like, ah, fine. Like he, <laughs> I think he asked, like, if I don't read the part, I won't get the role. And James Cameron's like, yeah, no, you, you, you won't. So I guess... Leo was upset, this is James Cameron's quote. So he comes in and he's like, every ounce of his entire being is just so negative, right up until I said action. Then he turned into Jack. Kate just lit up and they played the scene. Dark clouds had opened up and a ray of sun came down and lit up Jack. I'm like, all right, he's the guy. And I think that's really funny. It's like, we almost (laughs) lost out on Leo Mm -hmm. playing Jack because... He did not. He was. He did not want to read the part. Yeah. He. I read. Uh, I heard that he didn't want to read the part because it seemed kind of basic. So James Cameron had to be like, "Okay, look, you're not going to be Gilbert Grape or I don't know who who he plays in in that movie, but mm-hmm. you're not going to have a crutch. Like, there's no like mm-hmm. obvious thing that you have to deal with. You're just playing a free spirited guy. That's it." Um, who's never has a bad day yeah apparently (laughs) um except for the worst day but even that day (laughs) was not the bad day (laughs) yeah um yeah like so you know he he said you're gonna have to play that's your challenge and then leo was like okay i'll I'll take it i'll take the the job thank god man because i Mm -hmm. look i I love matthew mcconaughey and i love (laughs) gwyneth paltrow but i cannot see both of them being the title characters of the movie. Like, yeah. Matthew, Ma- Matthew, Gwyneth Paltrow, like, on the sh- side of the ship about a jump, and Matthew McConaughey walks up. Hello, hello, hello. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, okay. I feel like I would be just really horrible at casting anyone in anything because <laughs> anytime I hear, oh, this person's going to be in this movie or whatever, and you go, really? Like, Joaquin Phoenix is going to be the Joker. And you're like, I don't see it. Or Heath Ledger is going to be the Joker. I don't... That guy? He was in 10 Things I Hate About You. Like, that guy? <laughs> um, and then, he, you know, he, he does really well. Uh, and I just feel like I'm, I'd be horrible at it. But, you know, in hindsight, mm. Kate was perfect. And Leo was perfect. And, oh, yeah. Yeah. They were wonderful. These are things where it's like your casting has to be really on point. Because, again, mm-hmm. if, if Chris Nolan had not listened had listened to you or most people on the internet and been like, no, don't bring on Heath Ledger because he was in 10 Things I Hate About You. He was in Brokeback Mountain. We would have missed out on this role. And that's, that's it's hard, man. It And mm-hmm. that's why I feel like it, you know, hearing about so many people being attached to play Rose and Jack, or Rose, uh, I don't know about how many people, for Jack, maybe not as much. Oh, it um, was also, for Jack, it was like, now that I think about it, it was like Matthew McConaughey, Christian Bale, Paul Rudd, I think even <laughs> Matt Damon at one point oh yeah that's tough <laughs> and like, they're all bangers like they're all, all big hitters you have to go mm-hmm. with like you can't they were like no not matt damon he he has to be saved that's that's the that's what happens right for matt damon for every movie <laughs> <laughs> he, he, he's the one yeah. who has to be saved yeah yeah i think leo for sure i think with leo there's the way he plays it I, I feel like I believe it more. Like even even though like Leo now is kind of like, man, why are all your girlfriends so young? You know what I mean? <laughs> like even even with the Leo who he is now, when I 
when I see Titanic, it's just like, oh man, this guy's so sweet. You know, <laughs> with Matthew McConaughey, for some reason, I can't like unsee who he is now. But but in back in 1997's Titanic, like I don't see who Leo is now. I see him as Jack Dawson, like mm-hmm. and playing like this impossible. Uh, I think Nisa called him a manic pixie dream boy because he just has no no faults at all and he's there to like save rose in every way a person can be saved i think is what she says literally like, i forgot perfect. she mentioned that and that's like yeah, yeah. <laughs> he checks all the boxes except he's a boy and he doesn't have the hair his hair isn't dyed a certain color he's he's real <laughs> quirky color. he has lots of mm-hmm. skills <laughs> <laughs> Since we're moving on to to things that like the making of the movie, what does everybody have? Because I have uh, stuff about the press reporting as the movie was being talked about and also how not all of the uh, critics were fans of this movie and how one of them attacked Cameron so much that he had to respond. Whoa. Uh, So I have... A lot of the production side basically some the visual effects and the practical effects used for the sinking of the ship and some of the stuff about some of the rest of how they got the actual filming down and i have some really fun stories from the production uh including including one that involves pcp which i kind of alluded to <laughs> i don't think i had a lot i just had a lot of like just side notes um like kate winslet just having a i mean everybody having a really hard time but if you notice in the water She's the one with basically short sleep, no wetsuit, like underneath. Mm-hmm. So it must have been really hard for her. And I, I saw that she um she got like hypothermia down there. And uh she had it she had it so bad. She got so sick and so tired of all that. Like she said you'd have to pay me a lot of money to be in another James Cameron movie. <laughs> <laughs> And so, so she got that uh, she got the bag for Avatar too. I'm pretty sure she did. They they were like, oh, she beat you know for Avatar two. They said, oh, she beat like Tom Cruise's record for holding her breath underwater. And she's like, yeah, because I could do that from Titanic. <laughs> um, I have the skills. Yeah, she must have done better this time. But um, that's that's all I had. Just you know, little side notes. Okay, so I think George, you go, and then. You might cover some things that I'll talk about later when people when the press is reporting all this stuff as it's happening and how that kind of affected how well the movie would do. So you go ahead, George. How was this movie made? A lot of money. A lot of fucking money. (laughs) See, and it's funny because we don't really I mean, obvious like, all right, Captain Obvious. It's like, no, there's a lot of money that went into this calculated for inflation. This movie cost upwards of three hundred million dollars upwards which doesn't surprise it doesn't surprise us because it's James Cameron he makes some of the biggest films of all time now I'm trying to figure out all right how do they make this happen why did this movie cost so much nowadays you look at something like Titanic and you're like oh well you know you you give it to the computer guys they'll fix it well in 90 <laughs> when they were making work on this movie 96 97 95 they didn't obviously have that the computers were not as great the technology was not as great so for the bulk of this movie they relied on so many visual effects uh you know the the producer john landau john landau i believe yeah he basically says that we used every visual effect in the book to make this film and you know he's a producer so i'm like all right i call bullshit 
you know, you got to find a way to sell the money. Yeah, you, you can't believe all these people. You can't believe everything they say. Mm-hmm. There's a documentary on YouTube, right, that has snippets of the production across the entire board. He was not lying. Almost every visual effect that you could think of was used in this film. Practically most of them. Most of them. And what I mean by that was they have combination of miniatures. They have shots that were that were combined that were filmed separately, combined. There are digital elements, elements that are completely made in co- in-house, in computer, stuff that was filmed in real, real life. You had miniatures of different sizes. It's insane the amount of detail that they went to get all of this stuff, stuff that nowadays would just be thrown into a computer. But I think it makes a difference. I think mm-hmm. it really makes a difference because this movie, we're watching it now in 2022, and it's aged really well. A few shots that are completely computer have not aged well, but the rest have. Just to walk you through it, right? From the beginning of the film, you've got them going like modern day, you know, treasure hunters going down, exploring the Titanic. Well, that's a combination of real footage and stuff that was done with miniatures. So the real mm-hmm. footage, they went down, they got the shots that they needed to. They, they worked like they created a scale a miniature scale of the Titanic sunken at the bottom of the ocean. And they're like, all right, this is where the subs, these are the angles you're going to get. This is what we need to get. But for some of the stuff that they couldn't, they were like, okay, let's, let's flip this miniature over. So it's upside down. Let's get a robotic camera. And we're going to, we're going to fill the room entirely with fog. And we're going to film. We're going to like film it. Like it's in the bottom of the ocean. Oh my God. And it worked. You can't even tell. A lot of those shots, you can't tell. They're like, we have to make this perfect because our shots are going to be put next to real life footage of the Titanic. Dude, I I was thinking that, how did they film that? How did they get that that robotic camera down there at the Titanic? No, miniatures, bro. Jesus Christ. They built a miniature... They flipped it upside down so they could, so everything could be on the floor, and then they just flipped. They reversed the image. They flipped it around because wow. that way the cameras, the the camera with its robotic hand doesn't have to go on top. Like you know, it doesn't have to. It's easier to maneuver when like when the ship is like hanging overhead upside down. If that mm-hmm. makes sense. Wow, I did not know that. I thought I thought James Cameron went down there. They did. They went down there twelve times to get as many shots as they could. But some of the stuff that they wanted to... Because he said, he emphasized that they wanted to film a narrative film. They weren't there to get beauty shots or background shots. They were like, this these shots need to tell a story. And so, like, the sub submersion, submerging, you know, with all the fog and the lights, like, that was done with miniatures. Mm-hmm. That wasn't wow. real. Yeah, and some of the shots of, like, the, the... Some of the shots of, like, the boat, that was real. Some of them were fake. In a giant studio filled with a ton of fog and the fog kind of looked like ocean <laughs> it's insane. i thought that sub was in the ocean my god i feel bamboozled yeah 25 <laughs> years later we figured it out <laughs> that's it and, get, and it gets it gets better because when the robots are inside like of the ship that's all in a studio that's in a giant water tank they rebuilt those sets, like they, they took pictures, footage from what the Titanic looked like when it was sunk. And they recreated that. Like they built this stay, stage like it was in the bottom of the ocean. They filled it with water and they had cameramen go in. That that wasn't done practically. You couldn't because the pre- the amount of pressure was so much. It could crush oh, of you. Of course. That's right. He even says that. Bill Paxson's character even says that. If something movie. goes wrong in the sub, it could crush it's them. Sayonara, them. I think he says. <laughs> Be quiet. We're rolling. 
Seeing her coming out of the darkness like a ghost ship still gets me every time. To see the sad ruin of the great ship sitting here, where she landed at 2.30 in the morning of April 15, 1912, after her long fall from the world above. Dive six. Here we are again on the deck of Titanic. Two and a half miles down. 3,821 meters. Pressure outside is three and a half tons per square inch. These windows are nine inches thick, and if they go, it's INR in two microseconds. So they had to recreate it to get those shots of like the interior rooms as they're moving around and the robots like picking up the, the debris looking for the safe. In the very beginning of the film, the first five, ten minutes of the film dedicated to looking at the Titanic underwater, you've already got three techniques, three vastly different techniques to get it. Real life footage, some of it shot on the stage, and some of it done with miniatures. And they're all blended together to the point where neither of us can see the seams. Like we, It looks real. Now, obviously, they use some digital technology to enhance it. And it goes to something that one of the VFX artists said. And he says he learned it from James Cameron. And it's in the documentary. And he says, the thing that James taught me is you have to change up what you're doing. You can't rely on one thing entirely. You have to change up the what techniques you're using. And that way, it throws the audience off. So they don't know what's real or what's fake. That's a problem that a lot of movies have nowadays all of it's on green screen i mean uh one of the films that we uh we like to say is fake is um attack of the clones that was shot with blue screens and green screens and most people look at that it's like well it's all fake and none of it's real but that james cameron doesn't have that even though they did use green screen for this film they actually used a bit of it hmm. like you know in the boiler room oh okay with the giant pistons moving around yeah so they actually filmed those real pistons but those were miniatures those were small but Using okay, camera I, I figured that much. Using camera tricks, using the right, different lenses and changing the frame rate, they made it seem a lot bigger than it was. But the people working, I mean, you have your actual sets. Like, it, that's what's so great. That boiler room. I heard the boiler room, all the all the actors were like shorter than five feet tall just to make the room look big. <gasps> oh my God. <laughs> and um, they, they, they had a few boiler, like fake boiler room boiler areas but um there were lots of mirrors there to make it look mm -hmm. like it's really long hallway yep uh, <laughs> uh yeah and you know what you know where he got that from aliens what? he did that in <laughs> aliens to to simulate a bunch of pods but anisa's right they added mirrors in it to make it seem a lot bigger than what it was they only had i believe two and a half boilers that they actually built but it's it's vast it's huge yeah you actually feel like you're on the Titanic. Like, they actually built this thing. They built part of it, but the rest is a giant mirror. They they had set extensions and stuff, but they were like, no, let's just use a mirror. And it it, it worked. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know how, like, it worked, honestly, because can you imagine, like, keeping that mirror clean? Ooh! Like, and see, and so you, so it, you can't really see a speck of anything on it. You got to be careful. You have to angle it. Because if your camera is pointed directly in front of it, you're going to see the camera. That's just going to be a big... <laughs> mess that you have to fix VFX on in post. And then James you... Cameron's gonna yell at you. Exactly. <laughs> James Cameron's gonna say, "You know how much this costs? It doesn't matter." Anyway. <laughs> but no, you're absolutely right. In that boiler room, they used insert shots of real pistons. 
they built a set, but they extended it using mirrors. There's actual shots where everything is green screen. Like, there's nothing real. It's wow. just a giant psych wall that's green, and you have actors there. And then they digitally added in all the extra boiler room stuff. That's what that VFX guy was saying. He was saying, you have to change up your technique. Because if the entire room was green screen, we wouldn't buy it. We wouldn't believe it. But they're using mm. all these different techniques. They're pulling in all these different... Uh, VFX techniques like they're they, you see some shots where they're um they're compositing different images together they have like a, a high angle shot looking down at a piston right and in a, in a separate shot they have an actor in the background right so the other so the first shot is of the piston from a high angle looking down the second different shot is of an actor on a green screen looking up no piston in front of him, nothing. It's just him and the green screen. But they combine both those shots to give you the impression that the worker is looking at this giant piston operating. That's how you sell that illusion. Now, compositing, you know, they do it nowadays. They, they you know, it's it's not a it's not a new thing. But it's simple tricks like that mm-hmm. to just sell the illusion of this room that is so much bigger than what it really is. It's like um, it's like actual, it's like a magician. Like yes. Mm-hmm. You just keep distracting, you know? I don't know about you guys, but watching this film, I could not tell what was real and what was fake. There were a certain... Now, there's a few things where I'm like, okay, this is obviously not real because it's it's all a computer and t- technology wasn't great. But, like, in that boiler room, I was like, oh, I don't know what's real or what's fake. I don't know what um, what was a miniature or what was actually built there. I, could, I couldn't tell. And that's the beauty of what of James Cameron was doing. And what a lot of films, the reason studios don't do it is because it's really expensive. I wonder if part of the hype, though, was that, like, he spent so much on this movie recreating the set that everyone just had it in their heads. Oh, he recreated the set. He recreated everything. And they didn't think, oh, wait, a lot of this is illusion still. That is an excellent point. And I think that's why people bought it. Because you had all these stories, which Austin's, Austin's going to talk so about. Many of, stories. Of just people saying this. This movie costs so much. This movie is millions of dollars in debt. And people just look at it like, oh, yeah, no, I could see the money. It's like, well, you could see part of the money. Like a lot of Mm -hmm. the rooms in the uh, some of the rooms inside the Titanic were miniatures. And sometimes it would just film the actors in green screen and just put that miniature footage in the background. But you can't tell. You can't tell. Nope. For for the rooms. Uh, B fifty two, fifty four, fifty six. Do you guys remember Cal Hockley saying that? Um, kind of singing it. <laughs> That's the room that Rose and Cal were in, right? And in real life, that was actually J P Morgan's suite, and he didn't go. Oh, I-, I always think about that. Like the people who were, who were supposed to be on Titanic, and then they didn't end up going. They probably were like, whoa, yeah. That's, Sven's probably not so mad about losing that poker game. No, 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 no. <laughs> you know that shot of the, uh, it's a canted shot. It's a Dutch angle of the water exploding through the hallway mm-hmm. and the water destroying all the rooms and the cameras mm-hmm. moving backwards. Iconic. That was all miniature. They didn't build, like, I mean, they built that, but it's like a oh tiny little, God. it's like a little dollhouse and what? the camera's yeah it's it's like it's it could fit in like any of our rooms like it's tiny and they just had a camera zoom zoom by but it you know and they shot it straight on and then james decided to just add that dutch angle in post he's like let's just rotate it works so well because like you know the ship is sinking so like okay everything's canted because we're sinking so it it helps 
maybe disguise the the fact that the water droplets are a little too big i guess i don't know because i've seen the there's this old film called a night to remember which is about the titanic sinking and they use a lot of miniatures in there and you can tell that they're miniatures and they do the same thing where like okay now the water's bursting through the rooms and like all right that's obviously a miniature but in this movie i'm like okay maybe the the pistons are miniatures but like this water like those are real rooms he's filling with water it's crazy nope they're miniatures it's a tiny little it's like a tiny little (laughs) dollhouse just you know oh my god they bamboozled us hard man to this day to this day (laughs) and what's funny is all these techniques uh they're expensive but they add a lot of value to the film and this is exactly how they filmed the titanic sinking all these techniques they actually built a big like over 700 foot version of the ship but they only they only built one side of it the other side's nothing it's mm-hmm. steel and wood and you know it's all construction stuff i what? think it's like seven the set uh, <laughs> oh here it is here's a quote from an article from movie web the largest set of the movie was constructed in fox studios baja mexico the set was built for the 775 long of uh, 775 foot long replica of the titanic ship that was built on a platform that could rotate and tilt that could slightly tilt six degrees but that was it it could only tilt six degrees all right so how how do you film the rest of it if you can't aren't going to rely totally on computers miniatures you know they they built different size miniatures some that were 60 feet some that were like 20 feet they rotated they like slightly canted the cameras oh that's right because you can never tell i have a really dumb question you guys what is canted so canted is where you like slightly rotate the camera or uh, how, how do you mm. yeah it's like you rotate rotate the camera so like instead of shooting like straight on you like kind of tilt it so that like the camera is like looking at it lopsided like you know how dogs like sometimes they'll look at you and they'll like do the huh? <laughs> <You Yeah. know? laughs> it's like that but with the camera so like when you when you play it back it looks it looks tilted like the room is sideways does that make sense mm-hmm. like inception Yes, like Inception. Oh! Except they actually rotated the camera yeah. instead of the room. <laughs> yeah. It's like, for our viewers out there, it's like when you're taking a picture of like a horizon, but when you look at the picture, it, it's crooked, like it's not straight. That's what canted is. It's it's not perfectly aligned with the, with the floor. It's like the camera is lopsided. And they mm-hmm. do that because it, it, gets you, it makes it feel more real. It makes it yeah. feel like the, the ship is tilting even more than what it is. Oh, right, right. Okay, got it. Yeah. So, like, this giant 700-foot replica of the Titanic. So, it's only going to tilt very slightly. How are you going to film this entire thing? Well, some stuff on the boat to show, like, people falling and slipping over, they just tilted the camera slightly. They just rotated it. So, they made everything crooked in order to, like, all right, this shot takes place when the ship is, like, nearly vertical and they're like all right just rotate the camera all the way and you know what they did they built these like life vests with wheels on them so when the <laughs> actors would slide it oh lo- my god yeah th- it's like having a skateboard on your life vest you know they're just like slipping and sliding <laughs> oh, it's not I love beca- that it's not because the ship is completely vertical it's because the stunt people have these life vests that have like wheels on them I love that so much. I love how practical it is because it's the the life vest is like a cosmetic piece, right? Because like, okay, well, obviously some people are gonna have life vests on, 
you know. But to to use that as a way to disguise some wheels in so you can get the effect of them sliding because the ship is tilted. Oh, I love that so much. Here's the actual bit from the article. The replica ship was built and split into sections to enable filming of the sinking scenes. The 180 foot part of the ship could drop for about 6 degrees and the rear part that included the stern was detached to enable full 180 degrees of tilting. To sell the illusion of a sinking ship, the crew had to compensate for the degree of tilt by using a few tricks. For example, they paired the Dutch angle shot with a waterline that was composited to make the ship appear like it was tilting even more. Some stunt performers also helped sell the illusion by wearing costumes fitted with rollers to enable them to slide on the floor. <laughs> There's not that much, they're not really sliding. They're rolling over the floor, <laughs> but it's these, oh these little God. rollers are enabling them to do that. So when you see people like sliding down the Titanic on in the film, that's just a stunt person with like rollers on their life vest. They're just rolling. And the only reason it looks exaggerated is because the camera is tilted. It's not straight on. <laughs> I love that. Now, granted, they, there are, they built some sets that obviously had some like they had like 30 degrees of tilt to it or but mm -hmm. not that much not enough where the actors couldn't were seriously going to get injured you know yeah i read so as the movie is happening right uh as they're filming it there's a bunch of reports coming out saying that oh this movie's way over budget like it's supposed to be like what 115 million million dollars which is already a lot of money to make a movie back in 97 and then the budget goes up to over 200 million and you have all these reports coming out about, oh, people are, oh, I think we'll talk about the people getting sick thing later on. But there was one report of a bunch of people being injured. And, you know, if you you hear that you're filming, they're making movie about the Titanic and, you know, oh, the Titanic, a bunch of people died because the ship sank and there's water and oh, are people getting are drowning. There are people falling and hurting themselves. Uh, there was a story of some people getting injured like numerous, numerous people getting injured so much so that Screen Actors Guild of America in investigated the film for malpractice. And I, I believe there's only one scene that involved 90 stunt people where three of them actually broke bones as a result of, of them like kind of falling on top of each other. So James Cameron opted to like do that scene digitally instead so that no one else, no one else would get hurt. Because for him, safety was very important. And they took a lot of precautions, medical precautions, had a full medical team on standby, a helicopter parked at the studio. And he, he didn't like that people were just accusing him of being unsafe. And he's like, I'm safe. I'm so safe. I'm safer than everybody else. Nobody else has a helicopter out here waiting on standby in case something goes wrong. Well, it's not to, I mean, people did get hurt, but it's not because of negligence. Mm -hmm. It was, right. I mean, they did make a lot of this stuff safe. Like, for example, a lot of the ship during the, during the destruction of it, a lot of it was built out of foam and rubber. So when you see people hitting like different parts of the ship, like, m like when they're hanging vertically towards the end of the sinking, all the stun people are wired in, they're wired into each other and they're harnessed down. So they don't actually fall except a few mm -hmm. of them. And some of those people falling are completely computer CGI. They would use toilet paper to, they would toss it from the top of the ship. They'd toss a toilet, pa a, a toilet paper roll. And that was a marker saying that's a person, that's a falling person. So a lot of it was built. A lot of those sets were built out of foam, out of rubber. 
Mm-hmm. You know, they were harnessed in onto each other. They were harnessed to down to the ship. But they even said that in the docks. Like, sometimes people are going to fall on top of each other. And we are doing as much as we can to be as safe as possible. But when you're a stunt performer, you run the risk of, of injuring yourself. Even if it's, like, doing, doing like, a, a, a jump, you know, from... Mm-hmm like a fence onto a floor like you still run the risk of injuring yourself there's no no stunt is completely safe that's why they take this very seriously and i was glad to hear that it wasn't negligence it really was just it was ambition yeah it was it it was ambitious but it was i mean they took a lot of precautions to make this safe for everyone do we think it was actually negligence i mean it wasn't negligence because like it's like we've investigated ourselves and we found no wrongdoing (laughs) (laughs) what is it is uh well yeah that is that is a thing too like how how thorough was the screen actors guild investigating i feel like they would because i feel like the sag would want to protect their actors uh, because they're not a part of the studio studio they're they're a, a guild of actors coming together to protect themselves from the studios. So I, f- I feel like they would be more thorough than like the the animal animal wellness one. I forget what it's called because the I think the animal one is like we're here to protect the studios so that people don't get upset about animals being mistreated. Oh right. Whereas right. whereas the Screen Actors Guild would more likely want to protect the actors because the actors are the ones that give them authority. That's what I would think anyway. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like James Cameron was difficult to work with. I mean, there's numerous reports for sure. Shouting people, him being very difficult. And he, he's kind of tried to justify it by saying like, we're at war. Like I need to be like a general (laughs) war. Yeah. He, there was something that he said, something along the lines and it doesn't paint a a good light about him, but it does seem like they went the extra mile to just try to make this as safe as possible. When you look at the behind the scenes footage, it's like, like three people injuring themselves. I'm like, I mean, I could kind of see it. It just seems like the setup just after a certain point, there's only so many things you can do to be safe. Even the simplest stunt can go wrong. Right, um, for sure. I mean, I just, I feel like I felt really bad. Like, reading the trivia for this movie, I just felt really mm-hmm. bad for the actors. Like, the stunt people, yeah. it's like, okay, you guys, you know, you know what you're in for, you're a stunt person. Extras, you kind of know what you're in for, you're an extra, you know? And you're an extra on a sinking ship. Like, you, you <laughs> might want to, like, you should realize it. But, like, like uh, Kate Winslet um, and Leo, like, they're, I feel like, they might have gotten like some PTSD or something. <laughs> like, Leo, for sure. I think had issues with the temperature, but Kate, I think actually broke a bone. I think she, I think she did break. She something. had a, a bruised bone. She yeah, said. okay, that's what it was. Oh my goodness! Um, and she was she was saying this on like Rosie O'Donnell, and uh, I she she kind of says some things that are like, oh, maybe you don't say that. Uh, she says that like, oh, I look like a a battered wife. It's like, come on, come on, like. <laughs> Oh, um, oh honey yikes. but i i think if she had like a really awful time and she never wanted to work with cameron again uh her going to do like avatar 2 is like okay maybe it it wasn't like that bad maybe you know? maybe he convinced her but with a maybe. lot of money <laughs> and probably some some ndas and some precautions and everything but maybe i mean i just you know i saw i read that she got hypothermia out there mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. she would like you know she, i think she said like she didn't want to she would wake up in the morning 
doing filming like two thirds of the way in and was like, I just don't want, I just don't want to go to work, you know, or I just, I just don't want to be mm-hmm. here. Just take me off this movie. I think she almost left the movie. I think on particularly hard days, a lot of people felt like they didn't want to do the movie anymore. Yeah. There was a, an article from the LA Times that was just a bunch of quotes from people that Cameron says were taken out of context. But the <laughs> bunch of people were saying that I'm so sick, I'm going to walk. But nobody actually walked out of the movie. There was, I don't know if you want to get into it now, George, about somebody who may have been fired and was unhappy very unhappy that they wanted to sabotage the movie. <laughs> we we could talk about that in a second. Okay. Um, but it, I mean, it's very notorious that James Cameron demands a lot. Um, and I I am disappointed to hear that about Kate Winslet. That because you because you don't want people to get injured, and it seems like they went the extra mile to try to see what was safe and what was not safe. I can't see a movie of this magnitude like people. Not everyone walking out scot-free like i could definitely see like they were very ambitious and they were safe like there was a, there were things that they just were not going to do that they did do computer generated uh like that shot of like as the sink as the boat is like sinking like actually sinking and you see like rose and jack on the railing on the edge of the ship like that mm-hmm. was fake they were on top of a green screen all the water was added in it looked like it was a ruthless shoot mm-hmm. like poor kate winslet man she you know she, I think she was the, 20 at the time it's just right. like 21. And, you know, at the very end, the entire film, uh, the entire end of the film is her in a dress. Mm-hmm. Like, everybody else could wear wetsuits and heaters and whatnot, but she had to actually, she couldn't wear that because you could see it. Right. Go through that. And it's just like, oh, fuck. That must have been a mm-hmm. nightmare. Yeah. But um, her dresses still look really nice. Like, I remember, like, man, those were, those were so in for so long, all those dresses. <laughs> like... Everybody wanted a dress like that. Everybody wanted her her necklace. Like I remember, lots mm-hmm. of late night television, like on QVC or whatever. They're like, you can get a replica for nineteen ninety nine. Like just five <laughs> installments of nineteen ninety nine. One of our one of our um, community members uh, posted a picture of of their copy of the Heart of the Ocean, <laughs> which looks pretty good. Like I, I can see that thing selling for a millions, millions. It's a beautiful dress. And like there's that shot of them running through the boiler room in slow-mo where it's yeah. like kind of in the wind. And I'm like, oh, like that's beautiful. That's a good looking shot. Mm-hmm. The only oh. downside is you got to wear that until the rest of the movie is done. Right. And mm-hmm. they and the costume designer, she made that dress. She made like lots of copies, obviously, but they said she made that dress to she picked it because it looked good when it was wet and when it's dry she said she wanted to have Mm -hmm. both and i was like that's i mean that's costume design i never thought about that that's really cool that's thinking Mm -hmm. ahead yeah the opposite of of bram stoker's dracula where they just wanted these costumes to be as extra as possible no matter how inconvenient they they were gonna be oh no (laughs) yeah james cameron was practical yeah they were there's we didn't really talk about it, but in the making of Bram Stoker's Dracula, when Dracula throws the sword into the spear or into the, the cross, like he stabs the cross, his armor kept falling off. So they had to like do multiple takes and like tape it back up so that it would stay together. <laughs> I didn't know that. That's kind of, it's funny. It's just really funny. <laughs> um, 
But yeah, I mean, so just real quick finishing up that this, the sinking of this ship was a combination of multiple stuff, live action sets, like actual practical sets that were built on a, like on, like by the coast of Mexico, like 700 feet long. Some were built like somewhere like 60 feet that were built purely for the, the ship breaking in half. There were miniatures that were filmed, a lot of green screen compositing. Like they filmed different sections of it. So some some people are real in the foreground, but in the background, some people are computer like generated. Like the people falling, a lot of those people falling off the ship was real. Some of them were CGI though, just because sometimes it's like that's too far of a jump. Someone's gonna get hurt. This that whole sinking ship. The reason it looks good is because you're using all these different techniques it's not just one technique of green screen everything you know they did not go the george lucas route they were like we're building a fucking boat and it's gonna be a pain in the ass it's gonna cost a shit ton of money but maybe james cameron thought 30 years from now when some kids are recording a podcast they'll look back (laughs) and they'll say that it looked good and i can i can say it looked good (laughs) yeah it did it did look really good so that's that's the sinking of the ship now, you know, um, we did talk about how um, we talked about how difficult it was to work with James Cameron and Kate Winslet did an interview where she's like, it's been 26 years. We've changed. I've grown. He's grown. So that's why it, it that's why I could see her work, wanting to work with him again. And it seems like James Cameron is a different person. You know, he's, he's talked about toning down some of the, the gun violence in his newer films. He's talked about how testosterone is like a toxin. And, you know, so <laughs> it, it does seem like he's grown. However, he was difficult to work with back in the day. So much so that someone felt compelled enough to almost straight up poison the cast and crew of the sh- of of Titanic. Is this what you were referring to earlier, Austin? Yes, yes. I was I was trying to debate this story out of you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so there's a story uh, that Vulture released where uh, uh, they were like, yeah, someone basically put PCP in the clam chowder. So during the, during the modern-day sequences where it's Bill Paxson, you've got Old Rose... I guess one of the crew members, I or, or we don't, they don't know who they don't, they never found out who it was, but they got, I guess they were irritated. It seemed like James Cameron knew who it was, maybe someone he had a grievance with, and that person straight up put PCP in the clam chatter, and a bunch of the they they all ate it. Some of them had to be hospitalized. They were like some people, some of the grips were doing uh, wheelies and wheelchairs at the <laughs> hospital. Jesus some people were Christ. yelling screaming i guess james cameron threw it up before he started feeling it bill paxton was chilling he was fine with it because he was (laughs) they're kind of alluding that bill paxton was a giant pothead so he was just kind of like okay with you know i don't think pot prepares you for pcp no it doesn't it it doesn't that's how that works dude (laughs) it's not how it works but i guess bill paxton's more of like it's not the gateway drug all right that's the (laughs) dare that's a dare no, program. I guess I guess Bill Paxton was more okay with letting things happen, you know? Okay. Rather than biting it. I guess some of the people who were freaking <laughs> out just weren't used to like they were not okay with feeling that way. And mm-hmm. um, they never found out who it was. Like they had to they got like the police on it. They did a, they launched a full investigation. Never found out who it was. I mean, if you're if you think somebody is like having is is hard to work with and this is your way of taking your revenge like i feel like you're the problem <laughs> you know well, if you're trying to I, spike all your coworkers. 
I read, I read that, well, maybe this is just James Cameron throwing people off, but <laughs> no. like, of like, oh, I'm not, I'm not horrible to work with. But um, <laughs> I read that he thought it was somebody who's upset with the, the vendors, the caterer or something. And so oh he, he like, they were like, oh, well, I'll just get them fired. They'll just do this. But I just feel like that's, that's like, it's like a bridge too far just for a catering job i don't know um mm. but you know obviously it's it's colored by like oh well james cameron thinks it's it's that but is it really um yeah. well we it's hard to say i will say it is in retrospect it's really funny because nobody got hurt <laughs> yeah it, yeah you know and like Ro, everyone recovered like old rose didn't get it <clears throat> she didn't have it but that would have been did? scary yeah right so it's very irresponsible very dangerous like if that was a heavy stunt day and they did that oh yeah yikes and i think the the people realizing it was also kind of funny because this is a quote from the article um they asked a crew member jake carl Car- uh, jake clark and he said uh we had a room for the grips and electricians and one of the guys started looking started talking really hyper he's a big guy like six four and he says do you guys feel okay because i don't i feel like i'm on something and believe me i would know <laughs> <laughs> he was just chattering on like that and just as he was saying this we saw james cameron run by the door and this extra running behind him he said there's something enemy get it out <laughs> and it's like in retrospect, there's something to me get it out and it's like what's it book inside me <laughs> it's like okay it's still a fucked up situation but it's kind of funny in hindsight yeah, yeah that now that nobody got nobody got nobody hurt got hurt or anything relapsed or something here's what they said about bill paxton uh from set decorator claude roselle bill paxton was a real sweetie he was sitting next to me in the hallway of the hospital and he was kind of enjoying the buzz meanwhile grips were going down the hallway doing wheelies in wheelchairs (laughs) people are moaning and crying wailing collapsed on tables and gurneys the dp caleb de chanel is leading a number of crew members down the hall in a highly vocal conga line you can't make this stuff up. <laughs> this is funny, dude. Jesus. Uh, it's like it's like the trailer for Babylon or something. It, it sounded like it. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like uh, would would you guys would you guys have had it? The cl- no, I don't like clam chowder. I don't like clam chowder. I think I don't like seafood. I I would have eaten the whole bowl. Oh my goodness! Like oh, no. I no. <laughs> You like clam chowder? Yeah, like I don't know. I just kind of grew up eating it. <laughs> the one, <laughs> no, the so... one at Disneyland specifically. Oh yeah. Oh man, mm. and yeah, you would have, you would have been hit hard. <laughs> yeah. You would have. They would have had to. They would have had to fly you out immediately. <laughs> so, but yeah, that is. I, that's so funny. Is that all you had, George? Yeah, yeah. That was all. That was all I really had. Um, I did okay. want to say. So one of the things that I that I thought was interesting about the film was the rating. That it got because you know oh, the movie yes. gets the, the rating you know this has a pg-13 but there's nudity there's sex um there's shooting there's people dying you know so i figured did they go in with like an r rating in, in mind now i couldn't find anything specifically about the rating if they had back and forth which leads me to believe that james cameron went in with the intention of making this very pg-13 one because it's a very expensive film r-rated films will make just make less than pg-13 films it's just math it's that's how the world works but the other thing that i thought was really interesting was that james 
said that he really didn't want to make Titanic the film. He just wanted to go down to the ship to the Titanic and see it. And he kind of created a story around Titanic. James Cameron is an avid scuba... Like, he loves going down to the depths of the ocean and just Mm -hmm. looking at shit. That's what he likes. Like, his hobby. But he, you know, he went down there and he saw the ship and he was so moved by it. It was just such an experience for him that he felt like... When he, when he was writing Titanic, when he was kind of pitching it, he felt like he almost had a responsibility to tell the story <laughs> in the right way. Just because, oh, I get it was like, because he was avid of like shipwrecks and stuff, right? Like he, he yeah. had a fascination with shipwrecks uh-huh. and he just wanted someone to pay for the expedition. Kind of like the guy from the beginning of the film where he's explained to yes, Rose how the... Like, I felt like he was like a surrogate for... For, uh, James Cameron exactly and I, I kind of reading that story I'm like okay yeah I get it and but once he went down to the ship and he saw the footage and he was researching it he was like <laughs> oh man like this kind of got to he was like the guy where he's crying <laughs> he's, at the end he's, uh, all this time three years spent looking for the heart of the ocean I never saw I never saw the Titanic <laughs> something right <laughs> it is <laughs> I'm sorry Three years, I've thought of nothing except Titanic, but I never got it. I never let it in. And I guess he felt like he had like a big responsibility to tell it in the right way. Uh-huh. That I don't think he ever went gratuitous with it like i don't think he ever you know i mean maybe they kind of pushed the, the boundaries in terms of what a gunshot would look like like what an, a, a gunshot wound would look that but i guess they designed a film where that wouldn't be something that they'd have to capture mm-hmm. and when you do the research and you see the ship and you realize how many people died it's like you don't want to go in carelessly i feel like whenever you're right. capturing something like that in real life mm-hmm. you you have you have a sense of responsibility kind of with like steven spielberg with saving private ryan or schindler's list now obviously those are r-rated films but every director is going to have a different approach for it and i think james cameron knew where to push it and where to hold back and i, I think, think he did a great job most most of the time i know that there was there was the you know how there's that one shipmate that kind of shoots people and then accidentally shoots tommy yeah and mm-hmm. then he's like oh my god what have i done and he shoots himself yeah that was a real person mm-hmm. and it's not confirmed whether or not that he actually killed somebody and then killed himself we just know that he didn't make it back and the surviving family they did not like that scene and, and I, th- I think that he was represented that way in a previous version of the sinking of the Titanic, like that story. But they ended up like the studio ended up giving them like a five thousand dollar donation, five thousand pound donation to the memorial service. And they didn't really like apologize. But Cameron acknowledged that hmm, maybe I shouldn't have attributed those actions to a person that actually existed. Mm hmm. And look, he's gonna, I mean, that's okay, because I feel like you're gonna make mistakes uh, along the lines, right? Like, mm-hmm. the movie was created, I mean, he the movie was created and revolved around fictional characters. So, I mean, that's something right. that grew up yeah. when Except for Jack and Rose, Molly, Molly, I think, is a real person. Yeah. No, Molly is real, but Jack and Rose are not real. They're fictitious. Right. Um, mm-hmm. 
And it seemed like he was dedicated to doing their research. And I mean, disastrous things were happening and people were getting cranky and were getting upset. So could he have held back a little bit more? Yeah. But I also don't think he made it as gratuitous as possible. You know, like if it was an R rating, you would see his brains pop out and, you know, he'd be on the floor and people would be, you you know what I mean? Like taking it to that unnecessary level. And that wasn't the case. It was Mm -hmm. the way I I could understand the family being upset, but the way it was presented on screen, it was like an accident happened and this man was so hurt and so devastated by it. And all he was trying to do was help that he took his own life. I don't, I didn't feel anger towards him. I felt felt more sad than anything. And I I wouldn't, Mm -hmm. I personally don't think it was a, like a negative depiction it was you know yeah it was it was what what could have happened it was perhaps a an interpretation that was grounded in reality Mm -hmm. right i i just feel like i feel like they made him sort of human in that way Mm -hmm. right like for sure like if this happened it seems plausible that you know that would happen actually i read also that on one side of the ship um they thought it was women and children only and the other side of the ship, they thought it was women and children first. So a lot of the mm. men didn't make it in real life. But I think the side that he was on, I think it was the no women and children side. Uh, I mean, sorry, no no men side. There's just the one guy who like, uh, he didn't make the Titanic. He like funded it or something. It was Ismay, <laughs> right? Mr. Ismay. Ismay. Yeah, yeah. yeah Ismay. That that's funny. I just like when he's getting when when he's staring at him and he's just like looking straight ahead. Yeah, <laughs> but no, but you're you're a hundred percent right. It it makes it human. Like you don't mm-hmm. look at him and think he's a villain. You saw that it was right. an accident, and he's so yeah. ashamed by it. And it, you kind of want to just say, hey, like it's not your fault. I, I feel like you could have taken that interpret that situation and like needlessly upped the ante and the violence and like shot more people and stuff (laughs) yeah Um, but at the same time i feel like there must have been a lot of negotiation going on because like we were all pretty young watching it right for the first time Mm -hmm. and like my my folks would not have taken me there if it was rated r obviously pg-13 they're like uh you know okay and then a lot of the movie they just covered my eyes (laughs) um a lot of the movie but i knew i loved the movie but you know mm-hmm. um i think there's a lot of negotiation in the background like um i heard that if you submit it to what is it the mpaa um mm-hmm. they respond and tell you here's all the parts that you know not that are not uh that are, that would make it a rated r movie and then you kind of tone it down right. in editing and stuff and then you say, mm-hmm. how about this much? And they're like, okay, we like the movie and you're James Cameron and you did spend a lot. <laughs> um, <laughs> he did try really uh, hard. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but like for an independent film, if this was an independent film, like let's say hypothetically no money and everything, then it wouldn't have gotten, I, I don't think it would have gotten so much leeway. Everything you're saying, I agree with a hundred percent. If this was filmed by a different studio and not by James Cameron, because that was one of the things that, that kind of got to me. It's like, oh, there's nudity. There's there is a lot of violence, especially implied violence by people hitting propellers, getting crushed, drowning. It's the shots of people getting punched, and it's like it's a lot. You know, it's visceral. I definitely do think, like, I think James Cameron went in with the intention of making a PG-13 film, but you're 100% correct in that they were like, it was a back and forth. Like, I'm sure they, and I don't think it was like a fight. 
You know, it wasn't like James Cameron, like, this is my vision. You're, <laughs> you're, you're cutting my balls. You're. I mean, he did fight that way with the, the studio. Well, 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 he did over the runtime. Yeah, uh, he, he said that you'd have to kill me to make this movie shorter, right? Yeah, that's he basically that's- said that. <laughs> but I think when it comes to rating, I think he was more like, I don't think he wanted to go for something that was very intense. He makes movies for everybody. Yes. At this point in his career, like everybody, as many people as he can. Yeah. But you're 100% right. I'm sure they gave different versions of the film. And they're like, all right, we, you are pushing the boundary with here. I will give you, mm-hmm. Kate Winslet's boobs can be on screen for five seconds. But if it's 5.5, you're getting an R rating, sir. Only one of them. <laughs> Only one of them. <laughs> So, but yeah, I, I definitely, I couldn't find too much, but I, I thought that okay. like him wanting to be responsible with the storytelling of it, especially over this real life tragedy and the financial toll that this movie had on the studio. Like, mm-hmm. I think they kind of went in knowing this is not a, uh, this is not an R film. This is not Terminator mm-hmm. 1, 2 or True Lies or Aliens. This is for everyone. Yeah. Speaking of financial, um, I mentioned before that this was like the most money ever spent on making a movie Mm -hmm. and that was a lot of what the early like press like when the movie's being made they like to to talk about how much money this movie is gonna make or how much money this movie costs to make and how hey wasn't there an other water movie that costs a lot to make and remember how that one flopped remember water world water world all of these reviews talk mention water world Uh, la times are it's not they're not reviews they're like articles uh, LA Times, epic size troubles on Titanic on April 19th, 1997. They talked about Waterworld and how the movie would have to gross over $400 million to, to break even. Uh, this one had a bunch of the quotes from several cast or several crew members and the first assistant director, Sebastian Silva, talking about how difficult the movie was to make. Uh, he says the horror stories are all true. If anything, the fault of the movie is its sheer size. It was so huge, there was no way to control it. Other quotes from uh, crew members. You felt like you were part of the Titanic, like a survivor. In Titanic, everything was just extreme and over the top. Uh, Cameron responded to this on May 5th, saying that the people that he's working with are longtime collaborators and they know, they sh- know what it's like uh, working with him. And he respects their their skill and they're paid so so... They're all compensated very well because they're the best in the world at what they do. (laughs) Uh, He says, Just as it does not serve a mountain climber in the retelling of the tale to suggest that the mountain conquered was a gentle grade, it does not serve those who have been tested by fire on one of my films to describe the experience as routine. It is therefore easy for a journalist with what appears to be a negative agenda to assemble quotes from my cast and crew taken out of context and paint a picture of a cruel and heartless production that cares only about commerce and not people. Nothing could be further from the case. Um, and I kind of, I kind of believe part of that about it not being about commerce. Like, I don't think James Cameron sets out to make movies that make a lot of money. I think that he makes movies that he really wants to make. And those movies just end up making a lot of money. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think he he sat down and wrote Avatar thinking I want to make a billion dollars with this movie. I don't think he thought that. I think he he was excited about the process of making the movie, like he was about making the t- movie about the Titanic. Like I I believe that he saw the Titanic and he got 
I can make this into a movie. I can see it in my head. And I, mm-hmm. I do believe he is a visionary person. Um, and I think he's a pretty creative person and a very practical person. I I do think when you're when you're somebody like that, you kind of expect people on who are also a part of your your team to have your same passion for the same thing. And that's just not that's just not true. Mm-hmm. You can't like expect people to put as much of themselves into the project as you do that's probably why he's been married four times you know (laughs) um but i don't think that he was like uh, a monster on set like i i think that he just cares a lot and he yells at people i do think that he takes precautions to make sure everybody's safe and it kind of creates a, a weird dynamic because like someone like um kate winslet you know she might say I'm okay with what's happening because she knows that when he gets upset, he gets really mad. So you feel kind of pressured to say you're okay with something and that's not okay. And it's, it's good to know that he's better than that now. Um, so I don't know. It it feels like he's kind of an asshole to, to work for, but he, at least he really cares about the project and about your safety. So I, I don't know. I, I've never worked for, for someone like this. Um, so I can't really, speak too much on it but that's just how i feel about it let's see there was also another article uh from the washington post may of 1997 that also brings up Waterworld and cleopatra <laughs> heaven's gate that were movies that cost movies that cost a lot to make so they have to make a lot of money to be profitable and it talks about how fox and paramount who both collaborated to make this movie wouldn't really feel the repric like if the movie flopped they wouldn't be hurting so much because they they have viacom they have fox they like the new syndicate they they have a lot of ways to make their money back so if the movie just made 400 million dollars it would it wouldn't be that big of a deal and the movie did come out and it was a huge success broke a bunch of box office records it's the most money ever made by a movie at the time um and it won 11 oscars Golden Globes, you know, this, the movie has such a stronghold in our culture today. Like mm-hmm. the the memes of, you know, <laughs> it's been eighty four years. Uh, the the terrible recording recorder covers, which I'm sure you've heard. There's like those um, TikToks where people like floating away on the piece of, of door on oh yeah <laughs> with the Titanic music. There's like a, a fan made fake trailer for Titanic two where like Leo is frozen in a block of ice. I don't know if you've seen this, <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, there was one one critic out there who famously did not like Titanic. Uh, his review of the movie. Titanic sinks again spectacularly. Uh, his name was his name is he's still alive. Kenneth Turin. He said, For seeing Titanic, 
almost makes you weep in frustration, not because of the excessive budget, not even because it recalls the unnecessary loss of life and the real catastrophe. What really brings on the tears is Cameron's insistence that writing this kind of movie is within his abilities. Not only isn't it, it isn't even close. And then he, he said it was derivative of whole, old Hollywood. It was phony. The characters were so cliched. They should be studied as to how to not write characters. Uh, he makes fun of the dialogue. And he it doesn't just stop at this one review. This dude keeps writing reviews about Titanic as it's winning awards, as it's breaking box office records. <laughs> uh, in, in March, I think after the Golden Globes, which... And is, I think the Golden Globes or the Oscars is when James Cameron said that he was king of the world in his acceptance speech, uh, <laughs> which is like, it's a little much, but like, I, I guess you, it's fine. <laughs> um, he says, for Titanic's ability to attract a crowd also shows how desperate the mainstream audience alienated by studio reliance on the kind of mindless violence that can be counted on to sell overseas has become for anything even resembling old-fashioned entertainment. As Cameron himself recently said in an interview, we thought there was a hunger for emotion, for character, for drama. Deadened by exposure to non-stop trash and willing to confuse the on-screen chemistry of Leonardo DiCaprio and Kate Winslet as writing ability, audiences have been sadly eager to embrace a film that, putting the best face on it, is a witless counterfeit of Hollywood's golden age. Jesus Christ. Hold on. <laughs> he's he's Hold just on. he's just going what? for the throat. I'm so confused. What movies does he think are good? <laughs> at that yeah, time. I'm so, curious about that too. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Uh, at event this was the one that James Cameron was like, okay, I've had enough of this guy. So he wrote a letter to the LA Times um saying, Turn this it's a really long letter, but I I clipped like my favorite quote because I feel like, yeah, he's mad that this guy didn't like his movie, right? But I feel like there's a, um, something that I agree with with um, Cameron here about how people criticize movies. He says, Turin has tipped his hand. We now see his true heart. It's not that he doesn't like some movies, as is the critic's prerogative. It's that he doesn't like all movies, simmering in his own bile year after year. He has become further and further removed from the simple joyful experience of movie watching, which ironically probably attracted them to the job in the first place. The best critics keep that joy alive, while the worst let their cynicism twist them beyond any recognizable connection to the experience of a general audience in a movie theater. Turn sees himself as the high priest of some arcane art that is far too refined for the average individual to possibly appreciate. He writes as if his as if the insensitive masses must be constantly corrected, like little children who don't have a sense or experience to know what is good for them without the critic's patient instruction. <laughs> uh, this is paternalism and elitism in its worst form and utterly insults the movie audiences. Churin says, I write for the lowest common denominator and condescend to my audience. The condescending one here is Turin, who is insulting the majority of film-going public by telling them they shouldn't like what they like. Ooh. Which I think is a, a pretty, like, I'm like, yeah, you get him. I agree. <laughs> no, look, that dude was so out of line. And that's everything James wrote in that is like, yeah, that is true. Like, it's like, you're dumb if you like this movie. 
people in Hollywood are dumb, the audiences are dumb, and it's like, bro, relax. It's a movie. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. I think the- it, it's kind of like, um, what do you call it? In The Simpsons, basically that that critic just sounds like the comic book guy, you know? Yes. And he's just like, yes. worst movie yes. ever. <laughs> it's Titanic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's that's how I feel like a lot of people react to movies, especially online. Like, oh, yeah. they love, they love to tear apart a movie. Even if there's, like, nothing really wrong with it, it's just, like, an okay movie. Or even if it's a good movie, they'll find something to, like, to talk about negatively, and then they'll make new accounts to talk about it again as and continue their rant. Like, if you go to some of, like, the most heavily, like, bombed things online they are new accounts that only have one review yeah I've, it's like, I've, I've checked those as well i've looked into that it's really ugly and i i hate it and that's part of the reason why we do the podcast because we want we don't like to bash movies but we like movies and we like to get really into them talk about how they're really cool and a movie can be cool in a number of different ways it can be uh, your personal experience with the movie it can be the way a character is acted it could be the effects used and maybe the way it changed a person's career or the way we make movies moving forward like there's so many cool things about movies so that's that's kind of why we we like to do this show and to to fight against people like kenneth churin too <laughs> and look if he doesn't like the film that's totally fine that's with l that's well within his right we've said this multiple times for everything like you don't have to like the new star wars films you don't have to like titanic that's fine you know but if you're not really making a convincing argument you're making me wonder okay where's this hate coming from because with churn or whatever the fuck his name is it sounds <laughs> personal it sounds like he has a vendetta against cameron it that's, does, that's, doesn't it? It does. And it's like, and now I'm already not taking him seriously as a critic, which he might have some points, but it it sounds like he's holier than thou. Like, oh, I know what a real good movie is. And that's, I don't like, I don't like that. And a lot of the internet has become that. It's like, oh, this is mm-hmm. not my Star Wars film because of so-and-so and so. And it's like, look, I get it, but it's a movie. Just <laughs> let it go. Like, um, for real, we dude. We don't have to... You know, we don't have to hate every movie that comes out, yeah. which is funny because the reality is most movies are okay. Sometimes you like them, sometimes you don't like them, but because you don't like them doesn't mean that they're bad. Yeah. So, it's just yeah, I I dislike people like that. So, and I'm yeah. glad I'm glad James said something because it's like <laughs> it's it's <laughs> like listen here, you little nerd. <laughs> I I wonder if it's like even a good idea to respond to. I mean, by responding, like definitely more people were like, oh, Cameron's just a being a baby right now. He's mad that some guy didn't like his movie. So what? Yeah. But like the dude, the dude did write, I think, four times about about Titanic <laughs> in the L.A. Times. Like that's a big um, article. Like I had to pay a dollar to read these. That's a big publication. <laughs> why why did they even let him place. on four times? Because he's one of their writers. And- I guess, but it's like, write something else, man. Jesus. Well, I mean, that's Why do you have such a hard offer James? That was out for a while, right? I, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's like, this must be taken down. I have to stop it. <laughs> that's, that's a personal thing. I can stop this abomination. I make my own luck. I make my own luck. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, let's move on to our quotes. 
in lieu of a five-star system, we like to uh, summarize how we feel about a movie with our favorite quote. It can be our it can be our favorite quote. It can be a quote that uh, is a part of our favorite scene. It can be a quote about how we feel about the conversation we just had. Uh, George usually goes first, but we do have a guest. So do you want to go first, Anissa, or do we make George go first? Uh, I can go first. Yeah, okay. go for it. Um, I think I was going to say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say one that I was thinking about saying. And then I'm gonna say the one that I was. You're gonna yes. break the rules. So I'm That's just. How we're doing. <laughs> That's, all so the, That's all good. The first one was. It's been 84 years. <laughs> just because <laughs> I, I quote it all the time. <laughs> um, it's perfect. But like what I think is a really good one, and I think the part that I choose to really like and remember is when he's like. I saw that in a Nickelodeon once and I've always wanted to do it. It's just so charming, <laughs> you know? Um, and mm-hmm. that's when you're like, okay, Leo, like you've dialed it up to 10, you know? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's that's okay. a good one. That's a, that's a really cool scene too. Those are great. Those are great quotes. <laughs> it's been 84 years. Okay, George, <laughs> what is your quote and or quotes i got two quotes parentheses okay which we, right. which it's interesting because we were going to talk about this one but we forgot up until now so my first one which is kind of funny is uh i'll be goddamned. <laughs> i don't understand the significance of that i i think i read that that's what the the person who discovered the titanic underwater he said that when he saw it i'll be goddamned. <laughs> oh that's what the person who discovered the titanic uh, when, yeah when in like 80, 80, 80 or 85, it might not have been like discovery, discovery, but like they got it on film. And he said, um, I'll be goddamned. I'll be goddamned. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That's a, that's a good one. I like that. When she said mm-hmm. that, I was like, oh, that, I just, that, I thought it was funny. That's like a, a movie moment thing. Like no, no person would say that if they saw like their picture of themselves like 84 years later. Like, I don't think that's what you would no, say. No, you say like, oh my God. Oh shit. Or something. Or nothing it, at all. Or just nothing at all. But it's like, I'll be goddamned. It's epic. You know, that's 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 a movie right there. <laughs> exactly. And that's why I really liked it. Mm-hmm. But my second one is actually by Molly Brown. And she's saying it to Jack. And mm-hmm. uh, it's a scene where they're inviting him to dinner. Mm-hmm. And she's like, do you have the slightest comprehension of what you're getting into? And Jack's like, not really. <laughs> and I feel like you could say that to any person who hasn't seen this movie. <laughs> <laughs> and in a weird way i was saying that to myself like i it's mm-hmm. like I, I feel in that situation i'm like jack like someone's talking to me he's like do you have the slightest comprehension of what you're getting yourself into <laughs> of what you're getting into and i'm like not really and then rewatching i'm like oh shit okay <laughs> I, I just thought mm-hmm. it was a funny quote and i i really like i really like molly brown i think um kathy bates is incredible i think she's awesome oh yeah she's She's having fun. Yeah, and uh, I just like that line. I love I love her <laughs> in the whole movie. Like she's such a <laughs> she's such a joy to see, and I I love the line mm-hmm. when she says also like at the dinner party and she's like start on the outside, work your way in for the forks or whatever. Mm. He's like, what am I supposed <laughs> to do? I thought as a kid, I thought that situation would happen so often growing up. Like I would not know what fork <laughs> and spoon to be using in life. Like people mm-hmm. would just, you know, set their table like that all the time. 
And for some reason, my family just mm-hmm. uses a fork and a spoon, like one fork and one spoon. <laughs> so I tried real hard. Like, I was like, you are in the right podcast because I'm pretty sure Austin and I are one fork, one spoon, one knife. That's it. We don't. Mm-mm. I mean, sometimes it's just sometimes a fork. Just yeah. And I'm like, I'll just press really. <laughs> so, sometimes yeah. it's got to be your hands. It's just like, oh, fuck mm-hmm. it. So. And you have to defend your, your plate from your cats. <laughs> um yeah so actually i broke the rules too there's two quotes um one quote one quote um was when jack kind of sneaks his way up to the upper deck and he you know he steals the the jacket and stuff and he talks to rose and he's trying to like tell her that hey if you don't break free um you're gonna die he says and she's like i'm fine um and she says really i don't think so They've got you trapped, Rose, and you're going to die if you don't break free. Maybe not right away because you're strong, but sooner or later, that fire that I love about you, Rose, that fire is going to burn out. And like, I'm watching this on Pluto TV, right? (laughs) And there's commercial breaks every once in a while. And when he says that quote and it goes into commercial, I'm like responding to a work email. And that's when it hit me like, oh, I'm Rose. You know, that was the moment where I referenced earlier. And that that quote may be more emotional this time for sure. Like not as much as him dying and stuff, but like that part right there is like, oh, that's like the the theme of the movie, you know? Not seeing yourself trapped as this is all I can ever amount to be, you know? I can be more than this. Um, so I love that quote. But the the other quote that I had was actually from Cal. He says it towards the beginning of the movie. And that kind of summarized my relationship with the movie growing up. I thought it was like this thing that was like a really big deal, but I didn't care. Uh, he says to to Rose, who's who's like, oh, that's a Titanic. It's not as big as I thought it would be. And he says, you can be blasé about some things, Rose, not the Titanic. <laughs> Which is how I feel about the movie now. Wow. Those are great quotes. That, those are good Thanks. quotes. Man. Yeah, it's man. Maybe maybe that critic should have listened to Billy Zane. <laughs> He's a cool dude. <laughs> it's funny because thinking about it, yeah, you're right, Anissa. Like Billy Zane has some of the best lines in the movie constantly. And I think I, I think as an honorary mention, I think we should all mention the Billy Zane one. I have a child. <laughs> I have a child. <laughs> I always win, Jack. <laughs> I make my own luck. Ah. <laughs> uh... This has been really fun, really fun. I'm glad that we got to do Titanic again, or not again, but that we were doing Titanic. Because I think I want to do Avatar because of the new movie coming out, and George was like, "We should do Titanic." And I feel like I was like, "Why? Why Titanic?" And he was like, "Why Avatar?" <laughs> and I feel like by doing both of these movies, we've kind of have like a new appreciation for these movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're much more excited to see Avatar 2, um, which will be one of our first Patreon episodes, which we are starting to roll out next year. There will be like a cheaper, like lower amount that you can pay, like $2, I think we, we decided, where you can hear the episodes. There's going to be a $5 tier where you can hear like a bonus episode on top of that. And there's going to be a $15 tier that we can't really offer you much more content. It's just that you really want to support us and to see us like really like make more stuff. If, if you like listening to us or 
you're like related to us. You That's know? like the mom Maybe and dad that. tier. Like the mom and dad tier. Thanks, mom. You know? Thanks, dad. <laughs> But like that, that's what's going to happen um, next year. We love doing these podcasts. I love doing this every every other week. It's one of my favorite things to do. And yeah, we have we ha- we're on social media. You can follow us on at retrograde underscore pod at Twitter, on Instagram, and on TikTok. Uh, it's all the same stuff there right now. Maybe we'll go more into to different things and eventually but you know if you want to see our little videos and stuff you can follow us there we have a discord server where we like to talk about movies and stuff it's a it's a fun place we got people posting their titanic stories we have a youtube retrograde podcast again a lot of the same stuff there but we'll, we'll put more into it like next year i think mm-hmm. well thank you so much anisa for being here it was a pleasure having you on and you guys didn't hear this but there, there was a moment where we thought we were going to lose this episode. And Anissa saved. Anissa saved the day. Anissa came in clutch. <laughs> we, almost, we almost lost it. We were going to have to re-record the episode, which is fine. <laughs> it's, it's, not a, it's not like the end of the world. <laughs> I like talking about movies, so I'm good. I, we do this on a regular basis. <laughs> yeah. But uh, Anissa came in clutch, fixed it, and we're good to go. So thank you for doing that, Anissa. Appreciate it. And thanks for coming on. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, I had a I had a really fun time. I haven't seen this movie in a while. And I really like the the format of the podcast where, you know, we just kind of go over movies that we'd seen a while ago, um, talk about all the important moments of it, what we liked, what we didn't like. And um, yeah, I feel like it's it's got a lot of um, it's got a lot of heart to it. You could say the heart Aww. of the ocean. Thanks, Anissa. Um, <laughs> but not really. It's like part of movies. <laughs> so, mm. yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. Okay, we will see you in two weeks with my neighbor Totoro. All right, see ya.